Welcome to the Live Your Edge podcast. This is Gilbert Joy, your host. The Live Your Edge podcast is where I interview seven and eight figure entrepreneurs, influencers, and successful business owners who in their own right were able to create a life on their own terms. We talk a lot about stepping out of your comfort zone, but what does it really mean to be in discomfort and how you can expand your so-called comfort zone by being able to constantly test and challenge yourself. Today I have a special guest with you, Eric Bergman. Eric was able to make over $50 million by the time he was 28 by taking a company public on the Swedish Stock Exchange. So I was really excited to have Eric on the show to share his expertise and knowledge on life and business. Uh, but more so, Eric is one of the happiest people that I've ever met in my life. Uh, he's always encouraging people to smile and he will talk about some of the principles that he lives by that I found was very different from what other uh, so-called uh, financially successful people or entrepreneurs will share about. And typically what happens is Eric has his own method for approaching learning, approaching finding your passion, and approaching uh, building a successful career and a life. I won't reveal too much here, and I'll leave all the suspense up to Eric. Join me in welcoming Eric Bergman. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Live Your Edge podcast. I'm here with Eric Bergman. Bergman. Is that correct? Great pronunciation. Bergman. Uh, welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you for having me, Gilbert. It's a pleasure to be here. So it's, it's a pleasure. It's, uh, I, I really enjoy speaking with entrepreneurs and especially those that have uh, been very adventurous since, you know, when, since young, you know, experimenting, trying new things. And for you, you were able to take a company public and for yourself, created a great fortune and now you're giving back you're spending uh, most of your time working in the, in the social space so why don't you walk us through like your journey like how did it all start for you you know from making your let's say your start your story from when you when you started out to making your first million what was that like well i think the first million was pretty much all the millions at once i think i i don't I didn't dream to become an entrepreneur when I was a kid. I just started doing all kinds of things. And in school, I started, I arranged parties. Some went well, some went horribly bad. I started a little printer business. We started a little bit of web agency. I think the first six different business attempts just failed in various ways. And the first success came slowly and then it grow rapidly. So what became Katina Media is the name of the company that I took to the stock exchange. And what became Katina Media started in 2008, more or less. I was playing poker professionally at the time. And my I was starting doing marketing for, for poker to my f- poker professional friends. Kind of, if you play here, I'll get you a good deal and that kind of thing. And then I took a little cut in between. Then we started doing the same thing for bingo, online bingo, because the poker site I was playing for, they had a sister brand. It was a bingo brand and bingo was just booming. 
So we started doing this for bingo and we worked really hard with this. Me and my childhood friend, Emil, who turned into my business partner, worked really hard for like three months and made zero, zit, nada. So we gave up on that idea as well and went on to the next one. And then like a year later, sometime 2009, we looked into these different affiliate accounts where we got our commission checks, which had been zero every time we checked. And suddenly it was $1,000 in there. It's like, hey, wow, we made $1,000 from this thing we did nine months ago. That's cool. Um, so we took that like, okay, this can actually be something. So we started working more and more with that. And a year later, we had made maybe $10,000. So 2008, we made more or less nothing. 2009, like 1,000, 2010, maybe 10,000. And then we started doing it full time and it started to pick off quite a lot. We went from 10,000 a year to 10,000 per month. And then in 2012, I think we made about $40,000 per month. And then we took on investors and started doing, uh, focusing everything we, we on online casino, actually. So we're starting websites about online casino, similar to what TripAdvisor is in the traveling space. Uh, we did within casino and gambling for the, yeah, for the gambling space. And we actually almost went bankrupt in 2013 because we invested so heavily. Uh, we went down to, I don't know, maybe a month to spare or something because we ended up in all kinds of chaos. We hired more than we could afford. We took on a more expensive office than we could afford. We did all the mistakes in the book and we got sued uh, by our landlord for shitty reasons. Um, long story short, we managed to get out alive. Um, and then it was like 2014 that things started to go really, really well. And everything that we touched in 2014 turned into gold. Everything we turned into 2015 turned into gold. And 2016, we took the company to the uh, Nasdaq Stockholm Stock Exchange uh, on a $200 million valuation. So it was a bumpy ride with a lot of failures. And it wasn't really until the last couple of years that everything really started working well. So from what I hear is the first couple of years, it didn't, the company didn't really make money. So what was it that kept you going during this time, you know, when you could have just thrown the towel and so that I you think didn't the do most, previous ventures? Yeah. I believe the most important thing about succeeding as an entrepreneur is patience. And the easiest way to gain patience is by enjoying what you're doing. If you're having fun, you don't need anything else to stay patient because then you can just keep going. So I think the key for what we were doing was that we were always just following our hearts. We didn't start any of the businesses to become rich. We didn't start any of them. Sure, we wanted to make money. I'm not going to I mean, pretend that wasn't true, but we started from the joy of creating something and see if it worked. So if we, if we started with the purpose of having fun and then it failed from a business perspective, but we had still had fun, it was a success in a sense because it was fun. That was the main object. And then we went on to the next thing and it was fun and we failed and okay, let's try something else. And that's just how we kept going. We didn't look for success wasn't the main objective, I wouldn't say. Joy and doing something fun together was the main objective. Hmm. And that, and that, would, would that also apply for the previous ventures that you started that didn't work out? 
Was this the same principle? I, I, yeah, I would definitely say that we started them out of joy. I think, so I've been doing small little ventures, whatever you want to call them, since I was, I don't know, three years old. And me and my brother was searching all over the beaches in my hometown for soda cans. Because in Sweden, if you return a soda can to the store, you get five cents. So we did this as a business kind of thing. I, I, three, four years old, maybe I was, whenever we went to the beach, me and my brother didn't really care about swimming. We went into the trash cans and looked for soda cans. And he was, so I was three, four, he was six, seven. So he was the businessman and I just wanted to do whatever my older brother did. And then we started selling bread. We were selling lottery tickets. We were doing all kinds of things. Oh, lottery Obviously tickets. Obviously we wanted to make money from all of these, but it was... It was the joy of just doing things. So business has kind of always been my main hobby. And yeah. all kinds of scales from soda cans to IPOs. So it was the idea of just doing something that it was fun to actually see something sell and make money and, uh, and find enjoyment yeah. in that. Yeah, I think you could say that entrepreneurship was the game. And money was the point system. Okay. And pretty much no, no computer game, very few computer games are fun if you can't keep score. Yeah. Uh, so I was playing the game, quote unquote, on entrepreneurship, where I wanted to build something, but I always wanted to make money because I wanted to keep score. Uh, yeah. And money in itself wasn't the objective, let alone, I mean, if you play computer games, the score isn't the objective. Uh, but you want the score to stay motivated to know that you're doing better. Yeah. It, it helps you. Like you want to beat the high score, not because <laughs> the high score, but because you want to beat it. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's that's the way. It was the main driver uh, from childhood and until today. So what if you don't know the high score? Like in, you know, in the in the game of business, in, there's it's kind of hard to benchmark beating. You know, so winning good. in business. Or is there, <laughs> yeah, is there, is there a metric you can, uh, you can attest to for that? So for me, I think a successful entrepreneur is an entrepreneur who enjoys their life. Mm. And I don't know, a lot of people would say that Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos are the most successful entrepreneurs of the world. And honestly, when I see them talking, they don't strike me as happy people. And to me, to be a successful entrepreneur, you, you, you need to be a happy person. Otherwise, you might be successful in terms of building a business. But for me, being an entrepreneur is about being a happy human. Hmm. And so I think that that's, you, you can't really keep a score on your own level of joy. It, there isn't a definite number. But I think that that's so important to keep in mind when doing a business, whatever it is, if you keep checking back with yourself, am I having fun now? Can I do this in a more enjoyable way? And putting your own joy as a more important metric than the dollars coming in, especially if you're already making enough. It's, it's easy to say this if you have more than enough, but I'm guessing that most of your audience are at least somewhat successful in their ventures and making more, enough money to pay for their food and the roof over their heads. And as long as you have that, then I believe that always checking in with, am I having fun, will make you more or less endless patience. But mm -hmm. if you 
if you forget about having fun, you start thinking about, <laughs> now I got a cat who came in from my door and I don't know this cat <laughs> in my house. I have the living room. Okay, never mind. Sidetrack. Um, <laughs> yeah, as long as you check in with yourself and have fun, I think the cat ran away again. <laughs> <laughs> you will have endless patience. It doesn't matter if it takes you five years to become a millionaire or 50 years to become a millionaire. If you have a lot of fun on the ride, yeah. But if you're struggling, if you don't enjoy what you're doing, then you're going to give up if you don't reach that high score super quickly. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's about having um, the way that you gain patience is through the enjoyment. And that enjoyment will allow you to get through the hardships that come in the time that it takes to really get certain levels of success. Whereas people that spend a lot of time trying to get to the high score, but they don't really enjoy what they're doing, they're going to give up before they even reach there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, imagine, imagine that you're playing violin. You love playing violin. You're playing simply for the fun of it. You know you're never going to get rich playing, playing the violin. Yeah. And 30 years from now, you're really good at playing violin because you loved it. And I mean, you haven't wasted your time. You've had a lot of fun doing that. And I think if you have the mindset of someone who loves playing violin when you're doing business, it's very, very easy to keep going. Hmm. Because, I mean, to me, when I hear the word patience, I see a child in a church bench really want to go out there and their mother kind of telling them to stay calm. So it's like I have a pretty negative view of the word patience. But when I think of it as keeping going with something that I love, Patience is super simple. It's not hard for someone who loves to play the violin to keep playing violin. It becomes hard the day that they put a lot of pressure on it or their parents force them to do it or they want to impress someone with it, but not when they're playing out of the joy of doing it. And I believe that especially like digital entrepreneurs, remote people traveling around, they have the opportunity of focusing on how much they love this. Maybe lowering the pace they want to grow their business and increasing how much they enjoy what they're doing, mm. how much meaning they see in what they're doing. And if they, the more meaning they see, the easier it is to keep going. That's totally true. I feel like when I was spending time as a nomad traveling around, you know, business was slowed down a lot, but I was enjoying what I was doing up to a point where I, I stopped enjoying parts of it and then now you know focusing more living in one in one place until maybe later on i i rediscover that that joy and i feel like it's sort of in it comes in cycles sometimes things uh, you really enjoy doing it you have a phase where you're you really enjoy traveling or you really enjoy adventure sports and stuff and then all of a sudden you just kind of lost that uh, that fire for that and then you come back to it later on, you know, in the, in yeah, it's so crucial to, yeah. yeah, it's so crucial to enjoy what you're doing in the business as well. What is it about the business that you love doing and making sure that you see meaning in it? It's like a friend of mine, he is, uh, uh, he's been doing websites about spare parts, like lots mm -hmm. of different 
couple of websites about spare parts, like names of different cables, and then been doing affiliation with Amazon. So maybe you buy the cable 352XYZ, blah, 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 for a Sony camera. And he's been having yeah. websites ranking on this. But he's never really cared about what he's doing. So it hasn't been that fulfilling. And then he started buying up forums about surfing websites about surfing and all kinds of like websites that has to do with that and he's put them all together and he loves surfing and now it becomes he makes less money but he's really enjoying what he's learning about it he's trying to get this online forum to be very active he tries to get competitions he's getting sponsors where he can uh, have like giveaways of surfing supplies and stuff and now he's truly passionate about it he's making half the money he used to or even less but he's probably going to keep going with this for five years 10 years 50 years and then it's a completely different thing somewhere down the line because of the patience because of the joy because of him basically thinking about this every waking moment because he enjoys it he's gonna win mm-hmm. yeah and most people give up before they they really get there because of this they're not focusing on their their joy or at least what what they enjoy doing and see like they love i know a few people that like chasing trends um and i don't i don't know maybe you have a perspective on like that cuz you know there's a lot of people these days they say oh invest in bitcoin bitcoin's going down it's gonna go to go, go to a hundred thousand, and um, I, you know, this morning I woke up and I, I received a message. Someone told me, "Buy Bitcoin, it's going up," <laughs> so, and uh, I just say, "No, I'm not doing that." Uh, I just can't. I just can't feel the the excitement in that. So, uh, wh- what do you? What, what is your thoughts on people, or or on the on the act of chasing trends? In, in, yes, in I think that we, yes, I believe that we have two main happiness hormones, mm-hmm. hormones that makes us feel good. It's serotonin and it's dopamine. And dopamine comes from the rush of things. Mm-hmm. It comes from chasing the trend. It comes from challenging the danger. It comes from drugs. It comes from alcohol. It comes from sex. It comes from porn. And it's a kick that drives you. And it also takes you back down afterwards when it really it leaves you and it's addictive. Mm. And I think it, it, it brings a lot of positive feelings, but it's not long term. And that's what it means to chase a trend. I understand people who want to chase a trend. The other side of this is serotonin, which I believe is the happiness hormone that you can build up over time. You don't get addicted to it. It doesn't crash, but it takes a lot longer. You cannot get a kick of serotonin in the same way as you can get a kick of dopamine. So serotonin, I believe you build up by long-term doing things that you enjoy, long-term being around people that you enjoy being around, long-term learning things, long-term maybe adding that 1% your business growth every month instead of trying to grow at 50% every month. And 1% is a lot, or maybe 10% per year, whatever it is, I think the meaning you get from that is what you get from uh, serotonin. And if you build up a high constant flow of serotonin, I believe that you will have a high level of joy. But it takes a lot more effort to build up high levels of serotonin than it takes to build up high levels of dopamine. 
dopamine, yeah. you can just snort that line of cocaine and you're there. But serotonin means like you're going to live a life with integrity, with good habits, eating healthy, working out well, building on your business for that matter for, for years. But if you do that, you reach a level where you're pretty much almost always happy and your baseline becomes so much higher. So I think that for me, I don't, I don't even look at Bitcoin. Uh, I don't, I, I don't want to go with any trends whatsoever. If I don't want to do something for 50 years, I don't want to start. Got it. That's what, that's what it, um, my father also mentioned that there was like some stuff that I was trying in the past. And then he will always say, don't get started now. I mean, you know, like, like this, like uh, I would give some excuse like, oh, I'll just you know, do it once or twice or something. It's like, you know, best not to get started if you're not, you're not planning on continuing it. Just don't, just don't get yourself into it. And I, I think we brought up an a interesting conversation topic, which is you, you mentioned these two hormones, the serotonin and dopamine. And nowadays, many people are focused on that dopamine. They're focused on getting that short-term kick like you mentioned, and they have high, high concentrations of dopamine in their blood and versus maybe relatively low uh, serotonin. And they're just constantly looking for simulation through their phones, through social media, through all of these distractions. And I'm not immune to it as well. And neither is the audience, especially when I was, you know, being a nomad and, there's so much distractions from doing my life's work. So much distraction. You imagine you going traveling around and every time it becomes a new excuse because you're trying to not miss out on things. <laughs> and then when, yeah. when that happens, you're, you're kind of in the cycle and then you feel bad about it afterward. And you feel, ah, I shouldn't have done that. Or, <laughs> what would you share to someone that's in this cycle? of this repetitive cycle of constantly simulating themselves, doesn't matter what it is, could be through you know Netflix or some people, some people's drugs, some people's alcohol, some people uh, you know, just keeping up with the Joneses and the uh, social media, doing all of these, like doing everything except for doing what they actually enjoy, like what they truly enjoy. They do things that feel good in the moment, but don't really bring them any long-term benefit. What advice, like what, what kind of process would you take them through? I believe that the first problem is that very few people know what they enjoy. Uh, it's hard to know what you enjoy because it takes a lot of work. I mean, one of the most common questions I get from, from my Instagram audience is, how do I find my passion? I, I don't have any passion. What am I doing wrong? And it's hard work to find your passion. That's the thing. And I like to look at passion as being in an, in an ice cream shop. It's like the only way to know which is your favorite flavor of ice cream would be to try them all. Even if they sound weird, even if you don't like what the way it looks, it's like the only way to know which is your favorite is going to try them all. And I believe that's the same thing for, for passion than in, in business or in life in general, that you need to try lots of different things. And the problem with the digital nomad situation, for example, is that you usually try things that you more or less know for a fact that this is not going to be something I can do every day for the rest of my life. Maybe you do 
skydiving or you do ayahuasca in, with some shaman in the jungle of yeah, Peru, Peru or yeah. or, or you do you do you try a lot of things but you're not trying things that are something that you can do for the rest of your life you're not trying different like workout routines like okay maybe you can try muay thai for a while in thailand or go rock climbing or find things that you could turn into your everyday life workout routine and folks how can i find a workout routine that i enjoy you have that purpose maybe you test 20 different exercises and see which one of these am i actually doing because i love doing it and then hey boom you well you found something that you're passionate about that will help you to keep training every week that will help you to build serotonin mm. but it's so much easier to go for the extreme thing that you can't really focus on and the same thing with health it's like if you try and you test different kinds of foods or different things and you try to find what can i eat that is healthy that is within my budget that i actually enjoy enough to eat it every day or at least very often and it's like easy to put together how can i found that thing that I can sort that out and continuously eat well and make that a big part of who I am. But these triggers, I think that you can find a lot of joy in this, but you need to direct your joy. And this is not the cool kind of Instagram friendly joy, or this is not what people think of as joy. People want, so I believe that people want, so that you could either go for intensity or you can go for consistency. Intensity, that's things like skydiving or running a marathon or going to a one-week silent retreat in India. That's like intensity. It will give you a great story and a great experience, but it's not going to have a really big positive impact of your life. When consistency is like, okay, instead of going on a one-week meditation retreat in India, start doing 10 minutes a day with an app on your phone. Instead of like running that marathon and having that as your big purpose. Okay, go for running three times a week and trying to enjoy it. And instead of like trying to write a book in one week or whatever it is, yes, yeah, start writing journaling for five minutes per day because those are the habits that are going to have a great impact of your life, but they're not going to be great stories. And people tend to go for the stories. I mean, it's, you can't tell a story about the 10 minutes you meditate every day for a year. <laughs> Yeah. No one's going to listen to that story, but they want to hear about how you went and sit down on a mountaintop in the Himalayas with a monk for a week. <laughs> That's a good story. Yeah. So we tend to look for the stories, not for the life improvements. And I think that's a yeah. big trap that's so easy to fall into. Yeah, I think if people are story chasing, they are, they're looking for um, that kind of Instagram satisfaction. And it's kind of like with many things, they... Sometimes they just people look for the shortcut to get somewhere rather than the long-lasting result itself, um, even yeah. in business, just to look good. The thing, is, the thing is, because it is a story, that's the thing that's going to attract other people. Because if I'm telling the story about how I went and meditated for a week in the Himalayas, I'm going to want to tell it like it was life improving, even though it probably wasn't because I want to, I want to tell this story with as much engagement as possible. I want to like make it up for myself for spending all that money. So that story becomes a marketing campaign for 
going on one week intense retreats. So that's what people hear about. That's why people want to try it. Mm. But the 10 minute meditation on my app or whatever it is, it's not a story in itself. It's I'm, I'm not, I haven't invested much money or much time in it myself. So I will feel less engaged talking about it as well. And fewer people will even hear about it. So it's, I think it's very, very understandable that people chase stories because they've heard stories. They've yeah. heard that this made an impact on their lives. We're much more focused on doing what other people have done because we've heard that that's proven instead of like, okay, how can I make small adjustments in my everyday life that reach my overall happiness? Because at the end of the day, if you're happy, you're winning. If you're unhappy, you're losing. That's pretty much what life is about. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. I think uh, when you have people that are, they're like, we all fall victim of it. Like we try something, you know, experience. Um, for me, it was like even two, three weeks of uh, Muay Thai in Thailand. And this camp, every day you wake up, you go for two hours and it's intense and all of that stuff. feels good. And you love, you want to share the story. You got the pictures and everything. Uh, by the end of the day, like, you come back and then you don't really get to, um, you don't actively go out and practice it. And it's sort of like you're repeating the same cycle. Okay. Next year you do the same thing. You go another two, three weeks, but then <laughs> it's not improving, right? You're, you're not really improving. You're just kind of getting that rush and then like, Oh wow. Uh, you know, I, I, I learned and I, I have more endurance now, but then the endurance drops off a cliff <laughs> after two weeks back home. It's gone. It's like now I can't even go 30 minutes of, of this when before I was going like two hours. Uh, so I truly believe, I also agree that uh, the daily habits, they don't make for good stories, but they make for a good life, I think. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you are just the sum of all your habits. Mm. And if your habits is chasing highs, then you're going to be chasing highs. If your habits is, I want to make today 1% better than yesterday. And if that's your goal, every day to be 1% better than yesterday, sometimes you're going to succeed, sometimes you don't, but you're continuously going to make your life a wonderful, wonderful place. And that also means taking the really painful conversations. Because I think that if you're a person chasing highs, you're also avoiding lows. Mm. And I believe that if you're voluntarily walking into the lows, like you're having a very painful conversation with a family member or your spouse or your business partner. Those are the kind of conversations that makes your life better, but they're really hard to take in the moment because I believe that there is a very, very strong correlation to the number of uncomfortable conversations that you're willing to have and how high quality of life you have. Mm. Because all those quest conversations that you're like, don't really want to do, they're going to make your life worse if you don't have them. Yeah, But that day you take the conversation, that, that hour of conversation is really freaking painful. But if you don't take it, it's going to cut away well, like 0.1% of your life quality for a very, very long time, every time you interact with this person. And that's, I believe that's the same kind of pattern. If you turn speaking up in those moments into a habit, you're making your life so, so much better. Because at the end of the day, you will not have any relationships that don't feel real. But if you don't speak up, you will not have any relationship that do feel real. Because mm. <laughs> that's just the way it is. Yeah, that's very wise. So may I ask, what is the last time you had a difficult 
conversation and why or what was it about okay so the last time that prompts comes to mind is actually just last week i was at uh, a friend's house and we had been out running we went to the lake here and took an ice cold bath and then we went up to his place uh, and took a sauna and just talked bullshit and his girlfriend was there and she was cooking and I was like hungry, but I didn't really know if I was overstaying my welcome, if I was going to wait to get food. <laughs> and I didn't want to ask because if I'm asking, I'm putting him in an awkward position if he wants to say no. So I'm in that state where you kind of want wait for an invitation, yeah. but you don't really want to ask for the invitation. And uh, he ended up hitting this shower. I went and took a shower after the sauna and I came out and he took a shower and he said, yeah, I'll call you uh, later today. And to me, that's like a signal saying, yeah, you're not staying for dinner. And I walked from there and I felt unwelcome. It's like, and I felt, okay, this is something I, I don't feel good right now. And then I spoke to him later and I said that, hey, uh, I want to talk to you about something. And I explained what I had been feeling in that moment, like I wasn't, I wanted to check where I was, did you want me to stay for dinner or what was going on and how did you feel about this? And he said that, uh, yeah, now I feel really awkward about this. I, I was in a pretty tricky situation with my girlfriend that morning and that's why I felt like I needed to like reconnect with her alone. But obviously, it would have been so much better if I just said that. Because if he would have just said that, hey, Eric, I, me and my girlfriend, we came off on the wrong foot this morning. I would love to have you over for food, but not today. And now, after we had this conversation, it completely cleared the air. I don't feel unwelcomed anymore. He said that, hey, let's do this again Friday, and I really want to cook for you. And it's like, he got the chance to heal that, and there is no confusion because otherwise I would still feel a little bit unwelcome. I will feel a little bit angry and sad on the inside towards him because of the situation. And now I understand. But it's it's definitely not a pleasant conversation to have to tell one of your best friends that I didn't feel welcome in your home. Hmm. I I appreciate your your vulnerable sharing. You know it's Thank you. It's, uh, you know being able to have these these conversations is is crucial to building relationships with the people around you and feel like afterwards the relationship becomes better as a, as a result. I mean, for me is my hardest conversation to have is generally with, uh, with my brother. <laughs> that, that's the, yeah, that's always that's, tricky. Family's hard. Yeah. It's, it's very hard. And then it's still something I'm working on because it always feels like we're in different worlds. We're in different, um, we have very different, uh, lifestyles and very different, uh, approach to life or how we view life very differently so it becomes a some kind of conflict sometimes at family gatherings when i'm in new york and it's, you know he's he's in town etc so the, having these conversations is it just reminds me that and it reminds us that we shouldn't avoid these conversations we should we should take it you know like we should take those conversations when they present themselves because if we just allow them to pass by, we will have that sort of feeling in our hearts. Oh, should I have said something? Should I have um, spoken up? But we would have never known. 
and then that moment would have just yeah. passed. That that that's that's something that I I I definitely needed. <laughs> I definitely needed you know this this moment too, uh, especially in this time where in this age we live in right now in this this moment this crisis this global calamity I don't know when this airs but it's this world world worldwide health crisis is keeping uh, many people at home keeping many families separated or you know together and there is also that there's also that blessing in the skies which is now is the opportunity where now is the chance to finally say something that you've been wanting to say for a long time to someone that you you care about but you have some disagreements or you have some uh, uh, misunderstandings and so forth and it's whether people are willing to make that first step and have those difficult conversations how do you start a difficult conversation what what would need to happen like if it's someone that's it's uh they're not your enemy but they they especially i think it's harder is i guess you can also comment as it's a hard it's harder with people that you're very close with right it's then more at stake it's more at stake I mean, if you fuck up a relationship with someone you don't care about, that's not the end of the world. Yeah. If you fuck up a relationship with your brother, that's your blood. I mean, that's going to follow you around for years or your life. I mean, there are brothers who got into a fight about something and that never reunited. And if that happens to someone, stranger, if that happens with a stranger, it doesn't matter. If it happens with your brother or your spouse or your... I mean, there's so much at stake. So obviously it's, it's much harder. And family members, they trigger our emotions so much. And I believe that's because of unhad conversations. So let's take with your brother. I mean, you grew up together. There's probably a hundred, if not a thousand times that you have chosen not to say something even though you wanted to. Mm-hmm. And all of those situations are still there poking for your attention. All of the times you've been angry at him without saying, all the times that I would have felt unwelcomed in my friend's home would have been there and kind of telling me, there's something here I don't like about you. And all of those emotions get triggered at the same time whenever we're in such a vulnerable and emotional space. The more, the deeper relationship you have with someone, the more unspoken situations have happened. That's why I believe that Everyone who is in a love relationship for, let's say, five years or more are furiously angry with their spouse. And they love them at the same time, but they still carry so furiously much anger because there are so many situations that they felt stepped on or misplaced or, and they haven't spoke up because they're afraid that the other person would be sad. Both of them, mm. you know, because we're terrified of hurting each other. I've been with Johanna and my fiance for 10 years. And it took eight years before I felt like, okay, from now on, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. Every time there is something that's bothering me, I'm going to bring it up. And I, I haven't brought up everything, but I've had so many painful conversations with her over the last two years. But I feel so much deeper connection with her now than I've ever done before, because now she knows me. If If I don't speak up in situations where... I feel uncomfortable if I don't say what the things is that I want to do in various situations because I'm afraid of hurting her. She will never know who I am because I haven't told her. It's impossible for her to love me for me 
if I don't show me, how's that going to happen? She's going to create. So I'm basically showing her or for the first eight years of our relationship. I showed her a polished version of who I was. She then took that polished version and polished it up a little bit more with her beliefs because she really wants to make me even better or whatever. And she's in love with this polished version of me that doesn't exist, which is similar to our parents wanting us to dress up when we were going to see our grandparents as kids because they wanted to show the best version of us. That's not us. And that's what happens in a relationship if you don't speak up. That's what happens if, if I walk out of my friend's house and I pretend I'm not bothered of him not offering me food, then I show him a polished version of me not being bothered. That's not who I am. He can't be friends with, with that person. So it's, that's what it's all about in, in all relationships. Every time we show someone a polished version of the reality, we, we're not showing them us. They can't love us if we do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's that makes that makes total sense. We can't have a real genuine relationship with someone that we don't even know and they don't know us because we haven't decided to show it. And yeah, they're, now they're doing the same thing. Yeah. It's like so and I would you say that there needs to be a sort of permission, a mutual pr- permission between the, the both parties? where it doesn't matter if it's a in a love relationship or if it's with between friends where if there's something that comes across that I don't like or you don't like or it makes us feel uncomfortable that we bring it up and we share candidly so that we get it out of there and um, it's like you know babies they cry and then they're okay mm-hmm. they they get it out of there and then it's 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 gone and then they move on. The next, the next moment, they're eating ice cream or they're doing something else. They're playing with the toys. But as adults, I guess sometimes we just hold on to things like so long and then we resist certain things that we see in people. And maybe there's some stuff that we resist about ourselves too. And we don't, we, we try not to show it, but sometimes it leaks. You know, people can see it, although we think that we're hiding it. And, uh, in the end, it, it doesn't it doesn't work for anyone because it's uh, they feel like uh, we're we're being um, egotistic or something like that, and we think that they're not being understanding, and and uh, it all comes from this miscommunication, perhaps or unwillingness unwillingness to communicate. Yeah, I think I think when you say that it leaks is spot on that all of this, the anger that we carry within because we haven't felt seen or understood or whatever, it leaks and we don't even understand it ourselves. I think if it's in a a love relationship, it comes out as someone flirting a little bit more than they know that they're supposed to in a setting. And it's kind of, they justify it with kind of punishing the other person or decide to not pick up the phone when they're calling or there's all kinds of these teeny tiny punishments yeah. going around that the other person don't even know it's happening uh so like that's, I'm, I'm gonna punish you because yeah, you know <laughs> yeah it, it, i think leaks is is the perfect explanation to this and you had a few questions in there so one of them were do you have to have an agreement with someone to do this yeah. i think if you have friends who are deeply into personal development then it's great to have that kind of agreement. But you're not going to have that agreement with everyone. Mm. I actually have that kind of agreement with, with this friend that we said, we're going to speak up. We're going to practice this together. And that obviously makes it easier. 
And I have the same with, with Johanna, my fiance, that I'm going to speak up. It's going to be painful. But I don't have it with my, my family members, for example. And I don't speak up as much with them as I do with some of my uh, other friends. But I still want to speak up a lot more than I used to. Mm. And I think there, there are elements. One, one book that is completely amazing, it's revolutionized my entire world. It's called Nonviolent Communication by mm. an author named Marshall Rosenberg. Nonviolent Communication. It's, it's about how to talk about these things. It's about how to understand other people about these things. And it's, it's a lot of complex concepts, but it's simply brilliance. Uh, no, if, if I had to choose between that book and all other books that I've read in my life, I would still choose that book. It's been mm. so meaningful for all my relationships. And at the end of the day, relationships is what things are about. And one of the easiest and simplest things to, to learn from it is to just listen more and listen for what's being said behind the words. Instead of listening for these were the exact words someone said, listen to what is the emotion that they're feeling right now? Because they might be afraid. A lot of the time people are just afraid. Like Jealousy comes out as anger. But at the end of the day, jealousy is just fear of losing someone. Hmm. It's, and if you can hear when someone is angry at you, if you can hear fear, it's so much easier to respond in a loving way, in an understanding way. But when hmm. someone is angry, most of the time we go straight into anger ourselves and the connection is completely ruined. Yeah. But if, if I hear that you're really, you're actually just afraid, let's say you're, you're my mother and you're angry at me for not wearing my bicycle helmet. If I would hear that as she just being worried, I mean, when I meet it with anger, it's like, mom, you're trying to control me, I get pissed. But yeah. if I would just hear her saying, I mean, between the lines, she's communicating, I'm just really worried for you, I love you. Because that's actually what she's saying when she's telling me to wear my bicycle helmet. Yeah. then it would be so much easier for me to respond. And this book helps, has taught me to hear with those kind of ears that in so many situations, I'm hearing the emotion and I'm hearing the need. My mother's need in this is just for her loved, beloved child to be safe. She's angry because her shared need is that I'm safe. But if I'm just hearing her anger and controlling, I'm going to reject her. But if I hear her loving, caring, worry, and her need for a safe child, it's a completely different story. And mm. this is pretty much how every conversation plays out. We say something, but behind those words are emotions that we might not even be aware of and needs mm. that we don't think about. But it's always the need that triggers the emotion that triggers the words. And there is like a whispering game of words changing until you're actually in the words. So it's, it's really the, really the question you're asking in your mind when you're speaking with someone that says something in a certain emotion is, what do they need right now? Yeah. What are they looking for? How are they really feeling? Yeah. Mm, I got to check out this book. This first time I heard. It's a marvelous book. Uh, if, if I could get every person to read one book in school, it would be that book by far. No, no, nothing else comes even close. It's, it's complex. You need to want to understand it. So it's, but if you understand it, it will revolutionize. It has revolutionized all my relationship with my family, with my friends, with my fiance, everything. Uh, it's a complete game changer. Now, at the end of the day, 
know, to wrap this all together, it's that the relationships, great relationships lead up to building a great life and to lead to happiness at the end. So yeah. it's not a lot about how much, uh, you know, work you've done, how much money you've made or what success you've achieved, but it's really the relationships, the people you're able to share it with, the people that you can have a genuine conversation with, you can have a deep, you know, candid relationship with people around you. Even there's people that are very financially like successful. Some may not actually have access to those relationships that they so probably desperately want because maybe at that point, they don't know who is actually real and who is not and uh, who, who's, who's really trying to uh, go after them for you know, for some other hidden agenda. I feel like that's something that we often take for granted until we, we, we see it, you know, unfold before our eyes that, oh, you know, I, I got, I got what I needed, you know, materially speaking, but when I look around, there's, there's no one I can trust. And I feel like per perhaps that's the saddest feeling in the, in the world. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can have all the cars in the world, but you can still be really, really lonely. And we're not meant to be lonely. We're an animal of the pack and mm. we're supposed to be surrounded by people who love us and care for us and who we love and who we care for. And once again, it, it comes back to financial goals as we touched upon earlier. And money you can keep a high score on, which makes it yeah. easy to focus on that. You can't keep a high score on love. So it's, it's easy that we stare into what we can understand because we can understand numbers. We can understand if they go up and down. Hmm. But we can't understand if love goes up and down because it's, it's too, too complex. So that's why I believe this is super common among financially successful people because they have continuously been good at yeah. choosing money over other things. That's how they got to where they are. Yeah. At a lot of forks in the road, they have chosen to work the long hours instead of spending time with their family. That's how they got, I mean, on average, the person who is richer has spent more hours working than yeah. the average person who's not, have done more sacrifice for that. And then it doesn't mean that there aren't uh, successful financially people that are super good with their families. They're obviously there too, but it's, you, you get to the point of being financially uh, rich or wealthy because you made sacrifices regardless if that's in business or if you're a professional basketball player, you gave up on all the parties and everything in school because yeah. you're going to be the best in the world at shooting hoops. And that's just life. So I think it's so easy to forget about these warm, fluffy things that are relationships that are what keeps us comfortable in life in reality mm. because it's impossible to keep a high score on them. Mm. But they're the ones that matter the most. Yeah. Wow, I really appreciate having this conversation with you, Eric. I'm happy to hear. I'm really grateful for your 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 candor and your your openness, your willingness to share, vulnerability, and it's been a great it's been a great uh, conversation. I'm very happy to hear, my friend. For for those that want to follow you, to uh, follow your journey, to learn more about you, uh, where can they find you? Where's the best way to uh, reach out or to follow your your works. Yes, I have a podcast with my my friend Emil uh, called becominggreat.com where I talk about it's a mix we have 
it's about how we become great.com, which is my new business. Mm. And some of the episodes are very focused on update. Like this is what's happening in the business right now. We're recruiting mm. or we're actually missing our goals at the moment and these kind of things. So it's a reality show of building the business great.com. Uh, some episodes are very deep into personal development. Like things that we spoke about now are things that we're actually doing episodes about mm. and that are very meaningful and important to both him and I. And then other episodes are very focused on business, like how to make a thousand dollars per month uh, online. Like how do you start out? How do you become a millionaire? What mindset do you need? Uh, what are some high value skills that you need to master to become successful? Hmm. So we're kind of going a lot with our own joy in this podcast. What do we care about and what would we want to do? And it's just the two of us. We're talking about things that really, really matter to us. Um, so that's becominggreat.com uh, podcast. We're on YouTube and all the podcast apps. And other than that, I'm very active on Twitter, uh, at Smiling Eric, Eric with a K, where that became one of the things that I've really started focusing on last year, which to me is the perfect example of where joy becomes super important. So I had more or less zero followers last year, and now I'm up to 130,000, give or take. And whenever I, when I started, I was only looking to how do you grow Instagram? And I start reading these guides and I start looking about how do you do this? And all of them are focused on scaling, which would be the equivalent of money. None of them is focused on having fun. None mm. of them is focused on learning. None of them is focused on adding value. They're all just focused on scaling things. And I believe that in business and in, in every endeavor, once again, if you start by having fun, you get patience. But if you start by trying to grow your followers, you have zero patience. Because if you don't get followers, you're failing. So I failed a lot in the beginning and I actually gave up and I started doing all kinds of other things. But then I came back to, okay, I just want to have fun with this. How can I have fun? And for three months, I just had fun and my, fa my followers were not growing at all. And then I started focusing on how can I learn? So I want to have fun and I want to learn. So I started talking about these kind of concepts that we spoke about now because I really want to learn them. I want to get a better understanding about them. I want to be able to teach them. Yeah. And if I'm just having fun and I'm learning, my patience is endless. There is no reason to stop doing something I love doing and I'm learning. And if you're learning, it's just a matter of time before you start adding value to others because the better you get at something, the more valuable whatever it is. So that became the third step in this. So I had fun. I started learning. I started adding value to others. And first, after those three steps, the fourth step became money or scaling or in this case, increasing followers. I'm not selling anything. So I make absolutely zero money from my Instagram. But the numbers then become the part of the game. And it became so apparent to me that all the guides, all people, all the things I could read about growing an Instagram account, they were just about this fourth step. None of them speak about the three first steps, which if you don't like what you're doing, you're not going to continue. If you're, yeah. Everyone says like, you need to produce niche content for your audience because that's what they want to hear. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't like doing it. So I'm going to kill myself if I have to do it. <laughs> that's why our podcast, is, our podcast is only focused on things we genuinely care about, things we want to talk about. Hmm. We could probably have done a much better job in terms of increasing our number of followers if we only spoke about entrepreneurship and not yeah. spoke about vulnerability. Or if we only made a reality show about building a company, because that's something people would see. Now we're doing three very different things. 
but they all matter so much to us and there are things we want to learn about. So we're going to keep doing, we've done 60 or so episodes now once a week and we're going to keep going for to the end of time more or less because the focus for us, what we care about is to have fun and learn. Those are the two key elements and there is no reason for us to stop that. Wow. I really am really impressed with this, with your mission to really focus on things that you care about. And even if it doesn't end up giving you the, you know, X amount of followers, you still would not compromise on this mission. Soon enough, it will give me the followers because I'm going to continue. Yeah. I mean, if you keep doing this podcast for 50 years, you're continuously having fun and you're continuously learning this podcast is going to be freakishly good in mm. 50 years. Yeah. And that's just it. But if you're going to if you're going to compromise on joy, if you're going to compromise on learning, maybe you take on a guest that you you know they have a big audience but you don't really want to talk to them or you don't enjoy it or they're rude to you or whatever it is. It's like it's going to take away your joy and it's much more likely you're going to give up. And then you maybe you have two three of those guests and then you don't have those kind of high profile guests for a while. So your number starts going down. And if, you're, if the numbers is what keeps you going, it's going to kill your motivation yeah. because the numbers are going in the wrong directions. And nothing drains motivation as decreasing numbers when it comes to social following. Yeah. So if you're driven by those things, you will give up. And the quote unquote best things that might happen to you. Let's say you get Gary Vee on the show and he shares it and you get shit loads of followers. But then after that, you cannot land a similar guest for six months. You're just going to be in a continuously decreasing trend and it's just going to drown your motivation and inspiration. And maybe what looked to be the best thing that could happen and get a super guest on your show was actually the worst thing that could happen because it took you completely away from your focus. Mm. Yeah. That's not, it's a reminder not to get pulled into uh, different directions because of, uh, you know, because of setbacks like numbers and followers and, and whatnot. Joy is everything. Joy is everything. If joy is your main focus, you're going to succeed. It, it might take longer. It will definitely take longer, uh, but you will enjoy the ride. It's like, would you rather cross the Atlantic on a sunny day with good wind even if you need to wait for a couple of weeks for that day to come, or would you like to go out in the storm just because that's the day, the weather that's being served right now? Yeah. All better to wait for the enjoyable day. Yeah. Good reminder of patience. Joy will contribute to patience. That's where we, that's yeah. what we can all take away today. Uh, those living on their edge, those that are listening. Yeah. It's been, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure, Eric. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. You can find more episodes every Tuesday. If you haven't done so, please subscribe for more updates as they come. Until next time.